I was a student pastor for about five years in Chicagoland, Illinois, um, and I inherited a youth group that had a name that I liked quite a bit. It went by the name of King's Messengers. Um, I didn't know where that name came from. Uh, in fact, that church was very, very old, over 150 years old by the time I was there. Um, and everyone I asked said, well, it went further back than my time. So at uh, one point or the other, I got a little bit determined. I'm going to find out where this name came from. So I got an easy strategy. I just started asking older and older people, um, do you know when that name started? Do you know who named it? And finally, someone introduced me to someone who was well up there in terms of their uh, accrual of wisdom and honor. Um, someone who had been around the church since the 1940s. They told me that they were one of the original junior high students as they were part of that youth group that adopted the name King's Messenger. So now I was excited. Uh, okay, well, what led you to choose that name? Uh, I was thinking maybe it was the Great Commission, uh, Jesus telling the disciples that they're gonna go and preach to all the nations, making them disciples. Or maybe it's this passage in Luke 10, him sending out the 72 on this mission, two by two, town by town. But when I asked him, how did you pick the name? He got a kind of puzzled look on his face and said, oh, we heard some other youth group name that. We just copied it. <laughs> that was a bit of a letdown. But as thoughtless as the name was, I came to really love it. Uh, every year I would teach kids about how it is that they are called to be a part of the kingdom of God, proclaiming King Jesus and the coming of his kingdom through faith and by believing in his name. Um, I've come to the conviction of my time studying the Bible that understanding our call to be a part of the kingdom is central to being a Christian. And in fact, it's not just something that Christians need to feel a duty to do. We should be motivated by delight to do it. Uh, there's few things in this world that produce joy like knowing that we are serving as the instruments of Jesus, proclaiming the coming of his kingdom. And yet this morning I have a message that goes even a step further than that. Uh, because as high of a calling as it is to proclaim the coming kingdom, there's an even greater joy. Greater than proclaiming is belonging to King Jesus. Uh, that's what we'll see in two sections this morning. Uh, a journey along the road of discipleship with Jesus, one marked by joy. We'll see this first in 1 through 17. Power, the powerful joy of proclaiming the kingdom. The powerful joy of proclaiming the kingdom. Second, in 18 through 24, the greater joy in belonging to the king the greater joy of belonging to the king. And all this, I hope we'll see that it's a powerful joy to proclaim, but it's a greater joy to belong. Uh, let's start in that first section, the powerful joy of proclaiming the kingdom in 1 through 17. Last week, we heard some hard words from Jesus. He and his disciples had begun that journey toward Jerusalem, and he had a, a message for them, as well as some, a series of men he met along the way that it required commitment. And in fact, there would be a cost if you wanted to follow Jesus. Uh, but this morning, we see another aspect of following Jesus on the road of discipleship. It's also a labor of joy. 
uh, Jesus has a set of towns he wants to go to. And in verse 1, we see that he sends out a group of 72 disciples. Uh, They're going to peel off two by two to go to these various towns ahead of Jesus. If that sounds familiar, that's because back in chapter 9, Jesus did the same thing with the group of 12 disciples, the inner circle of them. I think the point we're supposed to draw from that is that the kingdom of God is breaking into this world. And as it does so, more and more people are being drawn into the kingdom's cause. Uh, These 72 are not the inner circle. They're everyday disciples like you and I. And yet they are given an incredibly weighty task and the very authority of Jesus to go with them, to proclaim the coming of the kingdom and to proclaim the peace of the king on all who will receive receive their message. Uh, From there, Jesus instructs them in verse 2 about their need to pray for even further for, for even more uh, manpower for the task. Uh, we'll come back to that later. And, and then in verse 3 and 4, Jesus uh, explains to them that they need to be both alert and on guard. Uh, they're not to uh, waste any time with idle chit-chat on the road. And in fact, they're to be on the lookout for those that want to do them harm. All of this because they have such a weighty task. What is that task? Well, in five through eight, we see it. It's centered around hospitality. Uh, This seems very strange to us, so let me read these verses again and then unpack them for you briefly. Uh, Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Uh, Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a house and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Now this seems very strange to us because we have a different reaction to uninvited guests than people in the ancient East did. Someone shows up to your house uninvited, wanting to come stay with you, to eat your food, and to tell you about a message that they've brought. Chances are you will not be glad to see them and, in fact, might call the police. But back then, there was the expectation that you would show hospitality to travelers. And especially if someone was a teacher or a prophet, you were under a moral obligation, both to welcome them in, support them, and listen to what they had to say. Uh, Jesus' disciples will travel light without their own provisions because they will be utterly dependent on the hospitality of the homes of whose doors they knock on. Now, some of those homes will open their doors wide, and when they do, it'll be a sign that they are opening their hearts wide as well. Uh, The peace of God will come to rest on that place and the people within it. Uh, The disciples are then to eat what's put in front of them as a sign of respect. Kids, yes, that includes the vegetables put in front of them. Um, But they are also to do signs, uh, signs of the kingdom's coming. In verse 9, heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Uh, The kingdom of God is everywhere where God's rule and reign extends. Uh, In Jesus' coming to the world, the kingdom of God started breaking into the world. And now it's going to be expanding one home and one heart at a time. 
uh, the casting out of demons and healing of sicknesses. And the message brought with them are a sign that the kingdom is taking new territory and new citizens are being welcomed in. Uh, that message that they bring, the kingdom has drawn near to you, is a message of hope and peace. Uh, the kingdom of God is arriving and your household is part of it. That's all what happens if everything goes well. Now, on the other hand, though, uh, there will be some that will not open their doors to their house or to their heart. In fact, they will close off both to the disciples. And in that case, something else is going to happen. Verse 10, but whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we will wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. Uh, in this case, once they close their doors and close their hearts, uh, the 72 are to go out into the public square and proclaim a message, not of peace, but of judgment. Uh, they're to declare that even the dirt that sticks to their feet needs to be cleaned off. Uh, because God's judgment will come upon a place that has rejected the messengers of the kingdom and thereby has marked itself as enemy territory for the king. Now, that all sounds very ominous. And, and indeed, the same message, the kingdom of God has come near, uh, sounds with a, a tenor of judgment instead of uh, a ray of hope. And Jesus goes on to explain that it's going to be, uh, there's going to be high consequences for those who reject the messengers of the king, and by extension, reject the king themselves. Uh, verse, verses 12 all the way down through 15 have to do with the comparison between those towns and other towns that have rejected Jesus and towns that are notorious for their wickedness back in days of old. Uh, Jesus says it's going to seem like places like Sodom and Gomorrah and Tyre and Sidon, uh, places that were known for their overt wickedness and rebellion to God, it's going to seem like they get off easy in the final judgment compared to what's coming for those that shut their doors and shut their hearts to the king and his kingdom that was sent. Now that's a weighty, weighty thing to be sent to do. Uh, for Jesus to send you off two by two, off into the countryside, no supervision, with the promise that some will accept, some will reject. But as verse 16 says, whoever receives you, receives me, and whoever rejects you, is really rejecting me as well. Yet that's exactly what he did with the 72. Off they went. And what were the results? Well, verse 17 tells us. The results were powerful joy, a powerful joy. They, they went house to house. Anywhere the door was open, they went in. And anywhere where it was closed, they preached their message of judgment. And they came back, and they were bubbling with excitement, ready to tell Jesus about what had happened. Uh, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Uh, kids, have you ever had a moment where you found out you could do something that you didn't know you could do before? 
and you just couldn't well wait to tell your mommy or your daddy or someone else about it, uh, you're never going to believe it. I can now do a backflip off the swing set. You're never going to believe it. I can play a song on the piano. Or maybe if you're a teenager, you're never going to believe it. I drove the car without running it into anything. Uh, there's a certain joy to knowing that you have exercised an ability or an authority, and it's gone well. Uh, that's what happened with the disciples. Uh, they saw happen exactly what Jesus said would happen. Uh, they saw Satan and his demons put on route, running in fear. Uh, they saw people have the peace of God come rest on their homes and in their hearts. And they saw the kingdom of God expanding one house and one person at a time. They could barely wait to tell Jesus, Jesus, you're not going to believe what happened. Uh, Jesus, you're not going to believe the people that are now a part of your kingdom. Now, we live at a time that is different than the time of the 72. Uh, Jesus is not pairing us up and sending us off to go invite ourselves into our neighbor's home. Uh, and yet, I do think there are a series of parallels to the life we live and our own calling in proclaiming the kingdom and the powerful joy that can be ours when we do. Uh, kids, there is no age limit on when God calls you to be a part of telling people about Jesus. Uh, it could be that you have lots of friends that are not Christians, maybe at school or in your neighborhood, or maybe you just have one or two. But do you know that if you obey this command, if you are bold enough to tell people whatever it is you know about Jesus and invite them to come find out about it themselves, that you will experience joy in your heart. And in fact, that joy will be so powerful that the people around you can't help but be infected by it. Uh, when I was a student pastor, every year I would challenge students to go into their schools and go into their neighborhoods and be witnesses for Christ. And one of my favorite things was to see the reactions when they actually did it and the joy it produced and how it spread through the youth group. Uh, one particular year, there was this girl, very introverted, very afraid to speak to people she didn't know well, and yet she was trying her best in faith to follow Jesus. And she became convinced that God had put one particular girl at her school in her life so that she could proclaim Jesus to the girl. Uh, so she came to me one evening and asked me to pray for her because she was afraid of what might happen. And I told her, uh, I'll pray for you and whether the door is open or shut, I'll pray that God gives you joy. Well, that next week uh, she came back and I could tell just by the look on her face that something had happened. Uh, she came back, her eyes were wide, she was almost bouncing from foot to foot, so excited to tell me, said, Pastor Tommy, Pastor Tommy, you're never gonna believe it. I talked with my friend, I said, yeah, really? What happened? I talked with her, and she listened. Look, she listened, really? It's like, yeah, and she's gonna be here. And I was like, really? It's like, yeah, she's coming to youth group tonight. And in fact, there she is, and she introduced me to her friend. And, and it was just such an infectious moment of joy. I couldn't help but be motivated by it. And that's what happens when we are obedient to the call to proclaim King Jesus and his coming kingdom. When we share the gospel in faith, whether that door is open or closed, our faith is built and our joy is powerful.
Uh, now, maybe it's been a long time since you've experienced anything like that. Uh, many Christians uh, get out of the habit of sharing their faith. Uh, sometimes it's due to the stage of life changing, less opportunities. Other times it's just because we get distracted. Uh, but inevitably, something happens as we stop intentionally seeing ourselves as sent by Jesus to proclaim, we experience less of that powerful joy that comes when we do. So maybe ask yourself this week, uh, has, does it, your spiritual walk felt like a bit of a slog? Uh, does it feel like there's a little less pep in your step as you follow Jesus? Uh, could it be that you're missing the lift that Jesus designed to help encourage us along the way? as we step out in boldness and lead people to know and trust Jesus to the glory of God. Now, one way that we can do this, all of us, no matter what age or stage or how many opportunities we have, is to start where Jesus started with his disciples. That's in verse two with prayer. Uh, Jesus said that there was a manpower shortage in the kingdom of God from the very beginning and that they are to pray for more workers. Verse two, he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. There are more people living today that don't know Christ and that are not a part of the kingdom of God than there were in the day of the 72. And that means no matter what age or stage or how much ability we have, we are all called to be involved proclaiming through our prayers. Uh, would you pray that God would raise up, not just pastors and missionaries, we need more of those too, but that he would raise up everyday Christians like you and me, all of us to be part of proclaiming his kingdom and experiencing powerful joy as we do. And if you dare to pray a prayer like that, don't be shocked if the answer to that prayer comes by God raising you up to share with someone in your life, maybe even this week. Uh, there's powerful joy to be had when we proclaim the kingdom, uh, but that's not enough. And in fact, if that was all that was here, uh, at some point or the other, we would fail hard enough or not be diligent enough and spiral into despair. But thankfully, there is an even greater joy and one that can sustain us no matter how hard it might get. Uh, that's our second point this morning. The greater joy in belonging to the king, verses 18 through 24. The greater joy in belonging to the king. Uh, kids, all of you have a favorite dinner. Uh, maybe it's fish sticks, or tacos, pizza, or some other dish that only your grandma or mom knows how to make. You've all got a favorite dish, and you're excited. You enjoy it when you come to the dinner table and you find your favorite food sitting there, piping hot, ready to eat. But there is something that's even better than your favorite dinner, your favorite dessert. It's possible for something to be good, even great, to produce joy, and yet not to be the greatest source of joy. Uh, that's according to Jesus. Uh, he tells his disciples they are in need of something even more powerful than the power of powerful joy that comes when we proclaim the kingdom, and that is our joy in belonging to the king. 
In verses 18 through 19, Jesus affirms what's happened to the disciples. Uh, They did indeed send Satan and his demons running. Jesus says he saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Uh, The kingdom of God is advancing, taking territory and winning victories. And they were a part of it. And in fact, it's going to continue. They're going to tread underfoot snakes and scorpions and spirits of all kind. Uh, With the authority of Jesus, they're right to notice the, the powerful joy of being a part of what he's doing. And yet, in verse 20, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus isn't saying that you should have no joy. Jesus is not saying that we should not have joy in proclaiming. Uh, However, that there is a greater, more fundamental joy, one that is more primary to what it is to be a disciple and even to be faithful. That is the joy of belonging. Uh, In the ancient world, kings knew exactly who belonged to them. Uh, They kept meticulous records, long rolls of people's names, Uh, people that were citizens of their kingdom, and because they were the king, people who belonged to them. Uh, Jesus says that there is a list of names sitting up in heaven, and you can be assured that the king of heaven knows each and every one of them perfectly. Uh, The Bible has spoken lots about this list uh, of names in heaven. Moses spoke about it as a book. Uh, Daniel saw that book opened, and John speaks of it as the book of life, in whom uh, people's names are written who will inherit eternal life. Uh, Jesus here points our attention to it as a source of indestructible joy. Our names are written in heaven if we belong to Christ, and that means we belong in the place that matters most, the kingdom of God. Uh, the kingdom that's breaking into this world and one day will cover all of it. We belong and no one will ever send us away. Uh, All of us have a desire, a yearning to belong. Uh, Sometimes when we are nervous that we don't belong, we we feel anxiety come up in our hearts. Uh, If you went to college, you know this dynamic, the first day of class in a new semester Uh, You find your way to the appropriate room based on some class schedule. You sit down next to a group of people that maybe you've never met before. You're waiting for a professor that maybe you don't know what they look like. And there's this underlying sense of anxiety. When the professor arrives and announces what class this is, am I going to be in the right place? When, When the professor takes out the roll call, will my name be on it? Or will I have that embarrassing moment where I have to get up and leave because I don't belong here. I belong somewhere else. Uh, Many Christians have that sort of anxiety about their belonging in the very courts of God. Uh, Maybe that you believe that you're saved by the blood of Jesus shed on the cross for you. Uh, Maybe you believe that because by faith you believed in him and because of his grace that yes, you will be saved on the final day, but you have this nagging suspicion, uh, maybe that there's been some sort of administrative mix-up up in heaven, or maybe that Jesus is bound by the letter of the law, but he really wishes he didn't have to follow through, and he kind of regrets the fact that your name made it onto the, that role in the first place. Uh, but brothers and sisters, we can be assured that's never going to be the case for us. 
Uh, when we arrive into the courts of heaven one day, or when the kingdom of God comes visibly to this earth, we'll be welcomed as citizens that belong and dearly beloved sons and daughters and as faithful servants of the king. Uh, you can know that because your name is written on the, that heavenly ledger. Uh, you can also know it because of something else, the joy of Jesus over you. Uh, did you catch that in this passage? Uh, there's not just joy from the disciples. We're told that Jesus experienced joy over something. In verse 21, in that same hour, Jesus, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. What is it that made Jesus joyful? He reveals it in his prayer. He's, he said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. See, there are no mistakes about who is welcomed into the kingdom of God. Uh, Jesus did not make an oopsie when he saved you. Uh, in fact, Jesus rejoices over the fact that each and every person that has been saved is saved. And in fact, it goes much further than that. Uh, before the foundation of the earth, there was a plan to save a particular people for the glory of God. And Jesus rejoices to accomplish that mission and to save each and every one of those that are his perfectly. Uh, he goes on to say in verse 22 that this is the sovereign choice of the Father and the sovereign work of the Son. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or the one, the, uh, or the, who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. When you feel like you're lonely, or you have that nagging sense that Jesus really doesn't want to know you, uh, like the, you had another bout with that sin that you felt like you were past. And you feel like there's just a giant frown up in the sky that God just wishes he could be done with you, but contractually he's stuck with you. Remember this moment in Jesus's earthly life. Uh, he rejoiced over the fact that God had brought in the spiritually pitiable and poor. Uh, he rejoiced over the fact that a, a group of nobodies became somebodies in the kingdom of God. And that means he rejoices over you and I, no matter how low we may feel at a particular point in our journey following him. And now, my dear brothers and sisters, maybe you've had an easy week. It's felt like there's nothing but sunny days. Life's easy. You can feel the blessings of the Lord. If so, rejoice. Praise God. That's wonderful. Uh, but remember the order of joys that Jesus intends for you to have. You belong to him. Your greatest joy is that that will never change, sunny days or not. Or, or maybe you're going through one of those stretches that all Christians go through, uh, days that feel like they're full of heavy clouds. Uh, maybe you feel lonely or forgotten. Uh, or maybe you just feel discouraged and despondent. Uh, would you remember this truth, that you belong to King Jesus? That's no accident. And he rejoices over you, yes, even in the midst of your sin. He's done everything so that you can be forever in his presence. 
And there is no one that will ever change that. And no thing you can ever do to change that. Uh, Our passage ends with Jesus pronouncing a blessing over this group of 72. Then turning to his disciples, he said privately, blessed are the eyes that that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Uh, Jesus, in this benedictory blessing to his disciples, points out what a tremendous privilege it is to live in the days of the 72. Uh, Moses and King Solomon and Daniel would have been green with envy if they knew what these people got to do. They would have traded places in an instant to go on that journey and proclaim the coming of the kingdom and see Satan and his demons running one heart and one household at a time. And yet, brothers and sisters, if you think about it, we stand in an even greater privileged position than they do. Uh, We know not only of the kingdoms beginning to break into the world, we also know of the definitive victory of the kingdom and the cross of Jesus and his resurrection from the dead and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And we now get to serve him with the great knowledge that this is all a gift from him. He knows each and every one of us and lovingly gave us this calling and this grace to live this life and no other. Uh, My dear brothers and sisters, don't let the lies of the enemy or the sins of your own heart tell you that your life is not worth living or things would be better if you lived at a different time or you were a different person. Would you draw encouragement from this reality? You belong to King Jesus. And you're living exactly the life he intended you to live. If you'll just live it by his grace and for his glory. There's a greater joy than even the powerful joy of proclaiming. And it is belonging to the king. Now one of the things that we get to do each and every week. Is make sure that if anyone comes to our church. And they have not yet heard the message of King Jesus. Then they have the opportunity to join the kingdom on this very day. And if you're here this morning and maybe you've taken some steps toward Jesus or maybe there's just a lot of questions you don't have answered yet, uh, we as a church exist to help you know and trust Jesus. Uh, We would love to come alongside you in whatever way we can. Uh, There'll be an opportunity for you to speak to me if you'd like right after the service. I'll be at the welcome table. I would love to pray with you and certainly to answer any questions you might have. Uh, But also realize that Jesus has called each and every Christian that's in this room, the vast majority of the people here, he's called them to be proclaimers of that kingdom that uh, we're talking about. And that means maybe someone that you've already greeted this morning would be glad to answer questions or pray with you about how it is you can come to know Jesus yourself. Uh, The way you do that is by turning from your sins, repenting of them, and trusting totally that Jesus paid the penalty you deserve on the cross, Uh, trusting that he'll give you more than a clean slate, that he'll give you powerful joy, the greatest of all joys, uh, the joy of belonging to God and of living forever in a loving relationship with him. We'd love nothing more than to be able to help you experience that yourself. You'll just take a step toward us.
And to all of us here this morning that are already part of the kingdom of God, let's be reminded of our greatest of joys, that we belong to King Jesus. Uh, In a moment, we're going to sing these words from before the throne of God above. Uh, One with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God, with Christ my Savior and my God. It is a powerful joy to proclaim the kingdom, but it's a greater joy to belong to the king. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we exalt and all that exalt in all we have in you, and we exalt your name. Uh, There is none like you, Jesus. There is no one who can provide us with such powerful joy of allowing us to be proclaimers of the kingdom, and no one who can satisfy us so fully with the greater of joy of all, of knowing we belong to you. Uh, Jesus, I pray, even as we prepare our hearts to sing this song, that you would produce within us infectious, indestructible joy, Uh, a joy that encourages each of us and joy that leads us to speak of what we've experienced ourselves. Oh, Jesus, accept this, our uh, worship through song. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen.